persons you're listening to, no names, all game. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of No Names All Game. Today is Monday, December 13th, and Penn State has a new defensive coordinator. My name is Chris Hankin, joined as always by my co-host Pat Calicchio. Manny Diaz, former head coach of the Miami Hurricanes, has been named defensive coordinator, successor to Brent Pry. We got the cool video of him walking into Beaver Stadium, looking around, taking in the sights, taking in the being feelings, cold. being cold as hell. Uh, Pat, initial knee-jerk reaction. What do you feel, man? Um, you know, I was surprised. I think I had seen one Penn State Twitter account talk about him. I think it was um, maybe – I can't remember which, which account. But they, like, right after the Mario Cristobal thing started happening, there, someone tweeted out, like, uh, Franklin should be on the phone with Manny Diaz right now. And yep. great call. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is a hire from, from all the people who know more than me seem to like it. Uh, one of the big things with Franklin was Diaz uh, runs the same type of scheme as Penn State. So I think that was an easy fit. Plus, he's a linebacker's coach. So again, he didn't have to shuffle around more staff. Like, you know, a lot of people who wanted um, Elijah Roberts were really, real high on him. The fact that I was like, what do you do with John Scott Jr. after that? Uh, does he leave? Do you let him go? Does he move to a different position? And I think we've seen from, uh, you know, some past hires that moving coaches to different positions doesn't always work. So I think this is, um, you know, maybe not the recruiting home run that Robert ER would have been, but I mean, Manny, I'm, you don't go to Miami if you can't recruit, first of all, you don't, you don't end up at places like Miami and Texas if you're not a recruiter. And, you know, we, we don't have to huge shuffle around the staff. You don't have to change a bunch of things about the defense Worry, worry too much about guys leaving because of that. I like this. Um, you know, he's a, the other nice thing is as a guy who just lost a job as a head coach, he's probably not going to get hired one as one too soon. Yeah. So you've yeah. got some staying power there. And uh, the other thing is you really, you don't become a head coach unless you were a really good defensive coordinator. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with pretty much all of that. I am not a Manny Diaz expert by any means, um, but I think a couple major takeaways initially, I was trying to find the guy on Twitter who called it. Sorry, I couldn't find yeah. it. Whoever you are, shout out to you. Um, the message boards were all flooding with this like a day or two in advance. Message boards get everything ahead of time. I'm not a big message board guy, so I truly didn't see this one coming. Um, but a few initial reactions. One, very happy that we got it filled prior to – Signing day. Um, I don't think anyone was on the verge of flipping just because. Uh, uh, I Brent think it was left. Penn State talk. Okay, shout out Penn State talk. Um, I don't think anyone was on the verge of flipping. We did see a, a couple reactions on Twitter, but I think just solidifying that makes the recruiting part of it much easier. Uh, number two, anytime you get someone with head coach experience in a coordinator role, that's invaluable. That's huge. Obviously, he didn't work out as a head coach at Miami, but someone who has that experience, who can be an assistant head coach or associate head coach or whatever the hell they you know use as words for there, um, is awesome. And then, like you mentioned, the fact that he is defensive coordinator slash linebackers filling directly in for what Pride did, you don't have to reshuffle anyone. Um, I think there's been rumors of John Scott potentially leaving. Would Pride try to take him? Uh, there's been rumors of, of Terry Smith potentially leaving. Um, I don't know if any of these are true or if there's any merit to any of them but the, the fact that Diaz can slide in directly into that same role that Pry left is is fantastic um, you look at his history his run of of jobs as a defensive 
defensive coordinator slash linebackers coach. Uh, 08, 09, he's at Middle Tennessee. 2010, he's at Mississippi State. 2011 to 13, he's at Texas. 2014, he's at Louisiana Tech. 2015, he's back at Mississippi State. 2016 to 2018, he has that role at Miami. And obviously, 2019 through 2021, uh, becomes Miami head coach. So, um, I'm happy with this. I think he's a good recruiter, as you said. I think, you know, his defenses have have typically been pretty good. Um, at Miami as a head coach, he was 21 and 15. Um, but you look at his time during, you know, at, at Miami as a defensive coordinator, his first year there, he was a nominee for the Broyles Award, best assistant coach in the country. Um, his final season, they ranked number four in total defense and number one in many categories as a defensive coordinator. That's how he got the head coaching job. Um, so again, not being an expert, I think this is a very good hire, which everyone seems to agree on. Everyone's saying home run hire. I think Elijah Robinson would have been fun, a rising star in the recruit in the you know stud recruiter, rising star in the ranks. But like, what what would you rather have? The rising star that may or may not work out versus a guy who's done this as his career and has head coach experience? I think it's a no brainer. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's a lot of great coaches who don't work out as head coaches, but like the fact of the matter is you know this guy can run a defense. He can call plays on defense. You don't, beca- you don't get hired as a head coach unless you're a really good defensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, you and yeah. I know this the best as, as New York Jets fans. Todd Bowles did not work out as a head coach. He's been the defensive coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers doing damn good helping them win the Super Bowl. Sometimes you are just better suited as a coordinator, and I don't know what the future holds for Manny Diaz. Maybe he returns to, to a head coaching spot at some point. I think you're right. He's not going to be someone who jumps right away. Um, but I, but I think this is a good hire. within five years of being let go at his own yeah. alma mater. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so you bring him in. We retain Anthony Poindexter, who uh, that was is listed as the co-defensive coordinator. I never understand when you have a defensive coordinator that someone is the co. I guess that's kind of just like the assistant or the backup. Like, I assume he'll be calling the plays in the bowl game. They haven't said that yet, but I would imagine he will. Um, unless Diaz is, like, allowed to just jump in right away. I can't imagine I don't think do he that. want him to. He that's hasn't true. coached any of the players. Doesn't really know that's true. That's true. That well. It's been a long know day. The defensive playbook that much. It's been a long day. I don't know what I'm thinking. Yeah. That was a bad. It was a bad take by me. Um, but I think you bring in this guy with the experience that he has. You retain Anthony Poindexter. Hopefully, there's no more changes on the defensive side of the ball. Overall, this is a very good thing. Yeah, and I I, I forgot to mention like I Anthony Poindexter looks to be all but gone. And yes. this is a guy who's been I think huge in the development of our defensive backs. I think you've seen since he came in like you know. Guys like Jaquan Brisker went from being a Juco prospect to possibly the best safety in the country. Jair Brown, again, like, I think you've seen in the, I mean, Poindexter's been our safeties coach for what, four years? No, he just came in. Just came, two years ago? He's, I want to say this is his first year. No. I, I could been, be wrong, but I, I feel like this was his first year with us. Because at least his second year, right? Maybe. Um... We're searching. Stand by. Stats and info. Stats and info is looking for it. Um, Either way, I think you agree. It looked like he was – yeah, he came in 2021, Penn State. He was at Purdue before that. Um, So this was his first year. But in his first year, he produced arguably the best safety tandem in the country in in Brown and Brisker. Um, So he looked to be Virginia's head coach. I don't know if he lost that job, if he turned it down and said he wants to stay, if they looked elsewhere. I think they went with Tony Elliott from uh, Clemson. Um, But it's a good thing to keep him as well. Yeah. 
Um, all right, we only have one question. We have one Twitter question based on this topic, uh, and then we have some other Twitter questions. I should have said at the top of the show, we have a great interview coming up for you about recruiting, about signing day, uh, with Eric Lammers of Rivals. I may put a note in in the beginning of this because I forgot to say it. Um, so stay tuned for that. We have a couple of random Twitter questions that we'll get into first. Uh, first one and only one relating to this Manny Diaz hire comes from We Are Recruiting. It says, which player on the defense do you believe will benefit the most from the Diaz hire? Oh, I mean, that, that's a bit of a crapshoot as a question. I got to be honest with you. Um, it is. You've got, you've got to think it's somebody in the linebacker room, maybe. Exactly. Like, again, it's like, I don't know who's staying in the linebacker room. I don't know if Brandon Smith is going to be here. I think Ellis Brooks still has eligibility left, but you're not sure if he's staying. So, I mean, that's like impossible to answer at this point. It is. My answer just for fun would be Curtis Jacobs. He's a, a linebacker with a ton of, ton of talent, ton of potential that we saw start to flash this year. Maybe Diaz gets in there, gets a hold of him, and makes him the next LBU great. Um, of course, I hope Brandon Smith stays and has a great year next year and becomes a first-round pick. But uh, I, my, my answer for that would be Curtis Jacobs. So um, that's all I got on Manny Diaz. Anything else that uh, you want to talk about Manny oh, Diaz-wise? Yeah, thrilled about the hire. Awesome. All right. So let's get into a couple other random topics, questions here. Um, and then we'll get into our interview with, with Eric Lammers from Rivals. Uh, so one of the big, big news that came out this week as well is Sean Clifford coming back for a 27th year. Uh, <laughs> what is it actually? Sixth year, I think. Uh, Pat, you and I have had our conversations on this. We won't rehash the entire thing, but we will get into it a little bit. Uh, you are more pro this, where I, as I've been, I don't know if I'd say anti, but I've been ready to move on. Um, so we have a couple of Twitter questions from this, and then we'll just kind of open forum it. Uh, Yoki, Yoki1909 says, who should be the starting quarterback in week one next year? Of course, Cliff is the safest option, and we know what we're getting, but I think he has a very limited ceiling. Uh, and then CJ Scalzetti says, happy Cliff is returning, but I hope JF does not do Iron Man with him and find series and lesser games early that Christian Vayu and Drew Aller get time. Can't wait just until we're up by 30 in the fourth to get them in. Absolutely burned us this year. Um, I think those are the only questions on Cliff. So, Pat, take it away. How happy are you that Cliff's coming back? I'm extremely happy. Um, I, I, how quickly this fan base forgets how we felt when Sean Clifford was out for one week. Um, this is a guy who is literally the most accurate passer in Penn State history. He, uh, if you look at his PFF grade, was one of the best passers in a clean pocket this season, which is a gigantic jump from where he had been in the past two seasons. And I think with finally a second season under the same offensive coordinator and an actual like QB expert in Mike Yersich, he could make another big jump. His big weakness, of course, is he's very bad under pressure. However, he became a lot worse under pressure after he got injured. So I think if you see a healthy Sean Clifford next year, and I agree with CJ that like, I would like to see some of the younger guys get more reps because it has hurt us this season. Absolutely. But I think a healthy Sean Clifford has a chance, a legitimate chance at winning double-digit games because he already, he's done that as a sophomore when he was significantly worse than now. And if, you're, if I'm being honest, the, the limitation of Sean Clifford's game has been the fact that we can't run the ball. He's had one, one season of competent running game, and he went 10-2 and two and won a New Year's Six Bowl against a solid Memphis team. I mean, that was do the you, Journey Brown you, year. Yes. 
can you really sit here and tell me that we all love Trace McSorley, probably all of our favorite Penn State quarterbacks. You really think he has a single double-digit win season without the running backs he had? If he had this running game where no running back gets more than like 80 yards a game, I can tell you, I guarantee you, we don't win a Big Ten championship. Yeah, I'm with and you. I, I, I bet more miles. seasons are like this one than like the ones he had. He had Saquon and then he had Miles. I, so I, I, do, I do not think the ceiling is on Sean Clifford. I think the ceiling is on what the offense has been around him. Yeah, I think it's fair. So let me start by saying this. One, all great points, Pat. I, <laughs> I am not here to argue with you or, or say you're wrong. I think you're right on a lot of those things. Number two, of course I'm going to root for Sean Clifford now that he's back. I hope he is tremendous. I hope he is the best quarterback. I hope he is everything we saw early this season and then better. Because as good as he was, we still, you know, we were, we were cruising those first couple games. But you look back at it, we, you know, had close wins over a Wisconsin and an Auburn team that didn't finish as top incredible teams, right? You know, those were good wins. He played very well. But I hope he takes even another step forward. Um, my biggest problem with it and my only concern is that I'm, I was ready to move on to a post-cliff world because it feels like the way Franklin works is that this becomes a crutch. That, oh, I have Sean Clifford. He is proven. He knows this offense. He knows this team. I am going to run him no matter what. And I just don't want that to be the case. If Christian Veyu comes in in year two and is lighting things up in camp and gives you a higher ceiling or you see a better potential than Sean Clifford, then you have to have an honest conversation about that. You have to say, is this a competition? Should Veyu start? Or should Veyu get more reps? Like, I think whoever the number two is, and I tweeted this, whether it's Veyu, whether it's Aller who comes in and, and shocks and wows right away, whoever the number two is needs to get, like, a shit ton of reps from the very beginning of camp. Obviously, we saw this past year when Cliff went down, Roberson was not ready for Whatever reason, we're not going to rehash that. Um, that you, they didn't think was ready or else they would have gone with him. Whoever number two is, you have to be ready for that person to be the starter. Um, and then like CJ said, I, I said it too, we have some early games against non-conference foes, right? We, we open up, I think, at Purdue. Um, you know, they, they're a sneaky good team at times. Uh, we have Auburn early in the year. So, like, it, it's not cakewalks. But when we're playing these non-conference teams, we should be able to get a significant lead in the first half and let your backup play the entire second half. Like Alabama and Ohio State do this regularly. Their starters don't play the second half. That's why they consistently have guys that are ready to go because they're just consistently developing and consistently building. Yes, they have the, all the five stars in the world. I get it. But I just, I don't think we've done a great job. And that this could be, same could be said for Trace. Like, Clifford got what, like a couple of pass attempts here and there. And we all, we all loved him because he was throwing touchdowns, but like we don't develop our backup quarterback. Like we ride with our guy and he's a warrior and he's a gamer and he's a winner and he can fight through the pain. Like, sure, man, that's great. But like, you got to prepare for the future. So that's my take on it. I'm, I'm happy for Cliff. I'm happy he's got another chance to play football. I hope he's amazing. I hope your sitch puts him into someone said, someone tweeted, Oh, Kenny Pickett wasn't great his first years. Now he's a Heisman finalist. I hope that happens. I hope Cliff is a Heisman finalist. I hope we win a Big Ten championship. I hope we're in the playoff. I also hope at the same time, Veyu and or Aller and or Pribula, whoever the next guy is, is getting valuable experience so that we're ready to move on next year. And we're not at the same exact spot of saying, well, we don't know who our quarterback is. and We don't know who's ready. and We don't know who's the best. You have to know. That's we can point. agree on that part. Okay. So I think we agree there. 
happy for Sean Clifford. I mean, it's cool. He, he'll get a year with, with his brother. Maybe Liam will actually step into a role next year as, as, a, as a sophomore where he can throw some passes to his brother. That's, that's pretty cool. Like, can't knock that. surprise me. Um, all right. Anything else on the Cliff news? Um, I guess the other piece is, is Roberson yeah. officially announced his transfer today. Not shocking. Um, Not shocking. I think, I think everyone's kind of seen this coming since he hasn't really been with the team the past few weeks as the reports. And I mean, you go from a backup who probably wasn't going to see the field much to a third string who's going to see the field even less with a five-star quarterback coming in and another pretty highly rated four-star in the same class. And it's just like, I don't, it, I, it's tough to just, even if that wasn't the case, it's, I think it's hard for, to just come back from what happened, you yeah. know? And I wish it's him the best like of luck. Like, that's yeah, a, of course. It's a shitty experience what he went through. He came in in a very hostile environment, performed really, really bad, had to face the music, talk to all the reporters after. It's like, you hope that that's not what he remembers for the rest of his life. I hope he yeah, goes somewhere, I, I hope he goes somewhere a successful career. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go through some of these other Twitter questions, and then we will get to our interview. Um, CJ Scalzetti had a couple other ones. Uh, at what point in spring do we fall for the O-line is improved? Never. Never. I'm not falling for it this year. I, you know when I'll believe it? When I see the results on the field. Yes. Uh, CJ also in says – In conference not, play. In, in conference, conference play. play. In conference play. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, CJ says, not crazy to think OSU, MSU, and Michigan all take a small step back next year, right? Um, I don't know. Ohio State OSU returns. OSU return, and they lose – you lose Olave and Wilson. Yeah, okay, okay. But, but you would imagine they have – I mean, they have the best receivers room in the country. Like, yeah. Smith and Jigba will be incredible. Our old, our old friend Julian Fleming maybe comes up, and they've got some other younger guys. Uh, Michigan State, you lose Kenneth Walker. Uh, yeah, and and, and one of their receivers – one of their receivers, too, Naylor, is gone. I'm pretty sure. I can see them taking a small step back, sure. Um, Michigan, I don't know about their running backs. They're, I mean, that was the – Well, they're going to lose Aiden Hutchinson. Obviously, yep. Number one, number um, two pick in the draft. Yeah, all right. Think, you know what? I talked myself into it. They're all taking step backs. We're winning the Big Ten next year. I just I, talked I, myself into that. Who was their other uh, – the end? What was his name again? Uh, Ojabo. David Ojabo. Ojabo. Is he graduating as well? Yes. It's going to be tough to replace two guys like that. Yeah, yeah, true. And difficult to overstate what a big part of their success those two guys were. Yeah, true, true. Uh, and last one from CJ, over under 0.5 more assistant coach changes. So do you think there will be another assistant coach change or not? No, I'm taking the under. I think we're set for the season. I think we are too. Like I said, there were some rumors of John Scott potentially leaving. Uh, at first, there were thoughts of, like, would Pry try to take him to run the D-line? I think Pry has hired his guy at this point. Yes. Um, so I don't think that's a risk. Uh, and then there were some rumors of, of Terry Smith leaving. I, I don't know why or where if it was if all that was also to follow pride but um i don't know i feel kind of confident that we're we're set at this point yeah i'd agree if it was going to happen i think it would have happened yeah um i think that's all the questions that we have any other topics on your mind any other thoughts we talked manny diaz we talked cliff coming back roberson transferring i think that's kind of yeah. i think that's all that's going on uh outback bowl Coming up New Year's Day, we will do a full preview on that like we normally do a preview for our games, breaking down the matchup, 
what are we watching for, some bold predictions. We'll do that all probably in about two weeks' time here, uh, so you can listen to that over Christmas. Um, but other than that, here is a wonderful interview with our new friend Eric Lammers from Rivals. Um, I know a lot of people have their favorite recruiting services, whether it's 24-7, whether it's Rivals, whether it's ESPN. No one likes ESPN. I don't think so. Um, but I would urge you to give, the, give this interview a chance because Eric had a lot of really cool things to say. Um, learned a lot about this class, about the Rivals process, about his history in recruiting. Um, it was a really fun interview, and I think you guys are going to like it. So check that out. Uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks to do an Outback Bowl preview, and that's all I got. Pat, any last words? We are. We are. Okay, we now welcome on a special guest and new friend of the program. It is Eric Lammers, recruiting analyst for Rivals, here to talk about early signing day, the recruiting class that is coming in as part of the 2022 class. Eric, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, excited. It's that time of the time of the year, you know, signing day uh, always looked at kind of like as the Super Bowl for the people that are in the personnel side of things like that. So, you know, it, it gets you excited, right, for, for this time of the year, for sure. Yeah, I appreciate absolutely. you guys having me. Yeah, yeah. Happy to have you on the show. Uh, we were just talking a little bit before we started um, recording, but uh, I think it would be good for everyone to hear kind of your background a little bit, how you got into recruiting and, and kind of this world of things. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I'm originally from Ohio. Um, I, I actually went to Bowling Green State University up in Ohio. I graduated. I was a, I ended up being, I was a teacher and a football coach. Uh, and then in 2012, I had the chance to move to Nashville, Tennessee and get working, uh, uh, in the college football world. And it just so happened that that person that I was going to work for was, uh, coach James Franklin. So I started working with him as a, as a recruiting, uh, assistant, uh, along with like Andy Frank, who's the director of player personnel now for Penn State and things like that. And, uh, they kind of taught me you know, how, how the business was and the ins and outs of everything. And it was one of those things where I was, I kind of started as a volunteer, um, you know, working a couple hours, but before you knew it, I was working every day as, as long as everybody else was and, and, and things like that. And it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And it ultimately led me to be in the director of recruiting for Vanderbilt uh, under coach Mason, who took over for coach Franklin when he, when he left for Penn state. Um, and I've kept in contact with Andy and, and coach Franklin over the years. And, and when, um, yeah, obviously, the, the business, the nature of the business can be kind of brutal. Obviously, you don't win enough ball games, you're going to get fired. And that's obviously what happened to us down at Vanderbilt uh, last year. And so I was kind of in a whim, or not in a whim, but in the middle of kind of what I wanted to do next with career. And um, an opportunity came along with rivals to cover uh, some teams and, and do some things like that. And it, it seemed like a pretty interesting experience and something that I could, you know, take some of the things that I've learned on the team side of things and, and come in and learn some different things on the, uh, I guess, the media side. And so it's been cool. So I, I, I've just, been, you know, I started only two months ago covering Penn state. So I, you know, I kind of right in the, towards the back end of, of uh, the signing class, the 22 signing class, but you know, it's been a, it's been a great experience getting to know some of these guys and, and watching them and, and things like that. So it, it's, I'm yeah. excited to talk about this class. Cause it is a very, very good class for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll start there. So Rivals has this Penn State class 2022 is the number seven class in the country. Uh, one five star and denied Dennis Sutton, 15 four stars and eight three stars. Uh, so I think the first question I have is, and I know you're kind of a little bit new to the, the Penn State coverage, so uh, maybe take this with a grain of salt. But do you think from your knowledge of the Penn State world, is this the most talented class from top to bottom of the James Franklin era? We've had some really, you know, we've had some classes where we've had really high star five star guys here and there, but then the rest of the class maybe isn't fleshed out tell us a little bit about this class and, and how it stacks up from top to bottom in the depth yeah I mean in my opinion this class is is one of the best in the country right you said number seven but I can make a case why they could be even higher than that quite frankly and I think it really all starts with the like with, here you know you, you said the 
Well, sorry? That's what we like to hear right there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, obviously with Denai, he's obviously the leader of the class with the five-star. But I would say, you know, a core group, in my opinion, of, uh, of Drew and, and Singleton and Caden Saunders, you know, those three right there are, are, in my opinion, elevate the class even to a whole nother level. Because I think that core, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is something, is something very special. I think, though, you can go through the whole, the whole each position group, really, and um, it's a very deep class. Um, the offensive line uh, has four pretty talented guys, in my opinion, when you look at them individually and what they could potentially come in and do. And I think, you know, the off uh, at wide receiver as well. I, I know Drew and obviously at running back with uh, Katron and, and, and Singleton, those guys get a lot of the uh, focus on the offense side of the ball. But I think the offensive line is deep and I think the wide receiver position is deep, especially depending on which way some of these guys, uh, the rivals has tagged as athletes, you know, the Omari Evans, um, Cam Miller, Mackay Flowers you know, Christian driver, guys like that, which way they go ultimately end up going. We'll see. But I think the wide receiver group is pretty deep. And then on defense, uh, you know, defense has, has got some players too, especially up front. Obviously that's where the, you know, really the core of this recruiting class is uh, with, with the five guys they've got in the trenches. Um, and then they only have, you know, a couple on the back end, but I, I you know, I do, you know, I, like you said, I'm, I'm new to actually, you know, the, all the classes that Coach Franklin's brought in at Penn State over time. I know he's had some really, really good players. You see some of those freakazoids that pop up, uh, you know, at the NFL Combine coming from Penn State <laughs> and things like that. And, and then they're in the NFL and they're just doing crazy things. So, obviously, he, he brought in a lot of really talented guys. But, uh, you know, in my opinion, top to bottom, this class is pretty special. And like I said, number seven, in my opinion, you can make a case for it to go higher. Yeah, as Pat said, that's what we love to hear. And I think that's one thing for me. Um, you know, everyone on Twitter especially has their preference of which recruiting site they follow, which one is right, which one's the most no accurate. It is it is a world in and of its own. So let's start with probably the toughest question that you'll get here. Um, Drew Aller. He is, as for many people, the you know crown jewel of this class, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Um, Rivals has him a little bit lower than some of the other sites. So he's still, yeah. you know, he's still a top quarterback, ranked number six. Uh, in quarterback and number 70 overall, uh, just got a big bump. I think he was a bit lower than that. Um, but you look at some of the other recruiting sites, you know, 24-7 as a, as a number three overall player. Uh, on three, number 11. ESPN, number 36. So what goes into some of those things that, that create such a difference? Is it that you're maybe lower on him or is it that you're just higher on some other QB prospects that maybe bumps a guy like him down a little bit? I think it's probably a little bit of both there. They, you know, I think obviously it's a, you know, the, the rec- it's an imperfect science when you're talking about these uh, the recruiting rankings and everybody has their preference on different things when they see whether they've seen guys live. And obviously with quarterback position, that's a pretty big uh, piece of the evaluation is seeing guys live and, and or what you, you know, kind of take into consideration as you're ranking guys. Um, you know, I would say, uh, you know, it probably started because Drew really came onto the scene a little bit. I, won't, I wouldn't say late, but I remember I was actually, you know, sitting down. It was when I got let, we got let go from Vanderbilt and I was kind of going through what was next. What was I going to be, you know, doing? And I, I started going through all top 250 guys, right, that were listed on, on the Internet and just started watching them individually and, and, and started ranking them myself just to see where I would stack them. And when I did it the first go around, Drew was not on my list of quarterbacks to kind of to kind of check out. Right. And so then two months later, I was going back through it and all of a sudden Drew popped on. And for me, you know, he went immediately shot up the board. Um, now, I think probably what rivals found themselves in a situation maybe was a little bit, you know, they, they're not it's not as fluid for them. They can't update these rankings so easily because one movement has just such a you know, a culmination effect of things. Right. And still, yeah. I think probably he was down there a little bit further 
Uh, they bumped him, you know, like you said, they bumped him up quite a bit this, this last go around. And I think there's one more coming after the all-star games and you could see him move up again because I think the case is there for, for him to do so, you know, to do that. He had a great senior year. Uh, he did some things even this year on the field that I thought you didn't see necessarily on his junior film, especially with his ability to be uh, mobile. Right. I think that's one yeah. of the things that maybe you don't, you know, as a six, four, six, five guy, you know, a lot of times you're not uh, assuming that he's going to be the most mobile guy. And, and I'm not going to say he's sitting out here and he's, you know, going to, just be shaking everybody and leaving everybody in the dust. But he did show some things on film, I thought, that shows he's a little bit more of a danger outside the pocket than maybe he's been given credit for. And in my own personal belief, I think he's probably a top two quarterback in this class. Uh, I, you know, there's the guy down in Texas that's uh, a pretty good, that's committed to Texas A&M. He's, he's a pretty good player. Um, and and it, like I said, it's your flavor. Pick your flavor. But And maybe even my on my bias, my personal Ohio bias might be ringing true, right? But for me, Drew <laughs> – Drew, I think, is a is a top two quarterback in this class, and I would be, you know, you know, I'm super pumped to watch his development because I, I have pretty high expectations for him. Eric, we're gonna get we're gonna get along just yeah. fine if you keep saying I, things like that. I think it's easy for like everyone at sitting at home to like forget that it, it's not uh it's not as simple for rivals to just be like, oh, Drew Haller's looking good. Let's just bump him up to number one quarterback. Like, they have to rearrange the whole list of like a thousand players. Right, right, <laughs> right. right. And I think that I think that probably was, you know, and I think, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, Ewers was the original number one quarterback yeah. in this right. class, right? And then there's some, and then they had some different guys that were either the dual threats or, you know, uh, and or the pro style component, you know, depending on what you were looking at. I think when, but for me, like I said, when Ewers came off the board, uh, when he, uh, reclassified and he came off the board for me you know because it was easy on my personal rankings I just bumped Drew Drew right up into that number <laughs> that number two slot I think I had him at overall uh, at the quarterback position but yeah yeah you said rivals it's not because they and really because rivals has to bring in a collective group of people right and they all have to kind of agree on it it's not just me like right because like they'll ask me for my opinion right and I'm and I'm not even a national analyst my opinion doesn't carry a whole lot of weight right now Sure. Um, but they still ask me just, you know, just because I've had some experience in it, but, and so for one person to move guy up and down his rankings, that's easy. But when you start, you know, when you start bringing seven, eight, nine guys into a room together, it's hard to get anybody to agree on anything, I guess. You know, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, you have that in college football when you want to offer a guy, you, you, you'd be amazed how many, you know, you put a guy on film and you're watching there with the, you know, the defensive staff or the offense staff, and you got your personnel staff sitting in the back of the room and, and the personnel staff is super, super jacked up about this guy. I think he's a no-brainer offer. Put him on for the coaches, and all of a sudden the coaches are like, nah, we'll wait. He's not really – I don't see it, right? And yeah. so, like, it, that just happens. When you, get a, when you get a collective group together, opinions are going to vary. And so that's – but that's the fun about the rankings. I always say you can't really get too worked up about rankings. Like, I think anybody that gets offended by – like, if, if, I, if I rank Drew – as the number two quarterback in this class and he doesn't pan out, God forbid. Right. And somebody comes back five years from now and rubs that in my face. Like that's ridiculous. Who cares? Who cares? Right? <laughs> that's what we're all in. This whole business is built off of misses and things like that. But like, yeah. we're all going to have our hits and we're all going to have our misses, but you can't have such thin skin that you're going to get so sensitive when people call you out regardless yeah, of the high or low. I, I think people are just excited with, you know, a, a, a 
a true five-star top-tier quarterback. You know, we haven't had one of those in a while, really going back to, to Hackenberg, and we know how that We haven't had one that really can. <laughs> we know how that panned out. Love mm-hmm. Hack, love what he did for the program, right. but on the field, didn't fully pan out. You know, we missed out on Justin Fields, who was committed, and then ended right. up succeeding elsewhere. Uh, we were a finalist for Caleb Williams, who was shown out at Oklahoma this year. So I think, you know, Drew is that guy that people are put in, putting up on the mantle saying he's going to be our savior, he's going to be our future. Pat and I will talk all about that and when he should start and where he should start and all that. But good to hear that you're just as high. Uh, well, hopefully I mean, he, he only starts in one, in one spot is, is what yeah. I'm hoping for. As far as where. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, anyway, moving on, Pat, go ahead. Um, well, you know, you touched on the other, I think, really big guy in this class in Denai Dennis Sutton. And, well, you know, I think a lot of people are – on the Penn state side are talking about, you know, how soon should uh, like Drew Aller start? I think the more realistic one is like, how soon could deny Dennis Sutton start? So I think that's a much easier transition from high school to college in defensive end than quarterback. What, like, how do you see that panning out for a guy like him? Like, is he college ready? Can he step in that soon? Yeah. I I think obviously, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's going to be a little bit easier for that transition, obviously. I mean, and, and down in the trenches, don't get me wrong, it's not easy. Because most times if you see somebody uh, transition from high school to, at least in my experience, from high school to uh, college and they're playing early, it's more the skill positions, a little bit er- easier. And uh, the physicality is not, you know, it's kind of a little bit more what they're used to. Maybe the speed's different. Um, but I think he would be ready because purely because of his size, right? And then I also think he plays, you know, plays against some of the best right there in the DMV, right? So I think that's like – that's some – obviously some elite football that he's playing against. So he's, it's not going to be a huge step up. Now there's going to be things he's going to have to learn, but I, you know, I think that obviously you can take some of his physical abilities and as long as the coaching staff, you know, can put him in the right situation, I think he should be able to see the field in year one. I think, uh, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me when I watched his film back in the spring was his initial step, his quickness off the ball. And I think that's one thing that you can really, as long as you have that as a defensive lineman, right, the rest of the thing is training him and telling him which way he's got to go and, you know, where you're supposed to line up, things like that. But if you're quick off the ball and you know how to use your hands, I think they can get you on the field. And I think he, that expectation should be probably that, you know, he's on the field sooner than later for the, for the Nittany Lions. Yeah, so you think maybe he's a guy who they, uh, you know, they have that four-game cushion for the red shirts now, like maybe get him some, some action in the first couple, see how it looks and maybe decide not to even burn, you know, use a red shirt. Yeah, you know, I think that that rule is obviously uh, something that you have to look at when you're looking at the four games and playing them early, uh, and then whether or not you need to pull it back because it's not working out. I think you probably have that idea, especially with somebody like him, I think you probably have that idea even in camp, whether or not he's going to be ready to go, uh, just because you see him going against your offensive line every day and how he, how he's doing in there, you know, with that transition. Um, but the four game, the four game is obviously a really nice tool that was added by the NCA. one of the few uh, really nice things that they've done for, you know, college teams and things like that. But I think, um, yeah, I, I would see, anticipate seeing him on the field within the first couple games. If I, I love all right, I'm not, you know, I have no inside information yeah, on that. Of course. And I've not actually talked, you know, I've talked about a handful of these guys with the staff or specifically Andy and things like that. And we've never really touched on him just because it's such, you know, he's, he's, like you said, he's one of the you know, top players in the nation, things like that. And every, you know, he, he talked about him so much. Um, and you kind of know what you're getting, but, uh, yeah, that would be my expectation. Just as, as far as skill set goes, he could. Sure. Exactly. Produce, so yeah. Right. First year. Yep. Yep. Love hearing that. Love it. 
Um, all right, another top-ranked guy that we've talked about is Nick Singleton, running back. Um, just had a ridiculous senior year, putting up video game numbers. Uh, so this question comes from one of our Twitter followers, our good friend Sweens. Uh, he asked, does Singleton come in and immediately take over the backfield? So I think we all saw the struggles that the run game had this year. Noah Kane didn't quite look like himself. Kevon Lee had some flashes. Devin Ford didn't play a ton. Um, I think we all expect to see at least one of the running backs transfer just because it is a crowded room. Um, Personally, for me, I don't know if it's just that simple that Singleton comes in and is that much better than the guys on the roster. I don't think our running backs are bad. I think it's a culmination of a lot of things that went wrong. Um, but what do you see? Kind of similar question. Is, is Singleton a guy that comes in and gets touches right away? Or with the logjam that we have at running back and, and having multiple guys, uh, is he going to have to wait his turn a little bit? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, going back to the question about, you know, seeing the field early, right? I think that running back's one of those that you can get on the field sooner than later, right? Because it's really – there's not a huge difference – um, in terms of, you know, the physicality and what you need to know and, and, and different things like that. I mean, the physicality is different, but what you need to know and, and different things, you know, not that different. For me, again, and I, I'm gonna, you guys are going to think I'm Penn State homer here right now, but uh, I, <laughs> he's the number two back in the nation for me in this class. So I, I would have every expectation that he's on the field. You know, the only thing for me that is going to be interesting uh, to see how he translates at the next level is in between the tackles and his vision inside there. Uh, inside the tackles because a lot of his a lot of his stuff he you know he has great burst he can get out the side outside he can go um, a lot of his runs are just long runs where there's just nobody around him and he's just gone right uh, at least from what I've seen in the past some of his some of his runs and so when you get inside the tackles and it's obviously you're going against you know another step up in competition you know how, how's your vision there and what's that like I but again I think he's the, I think he's the real deal for me, I think you'd have a hard time keeping him off the field because I think, you know, when you put a guy with that kind of speed and that kind of burst and then you show him and he sees his, uh, you know, he's also got an, a pretty elite balance. When you couple those type of uh, traits at the running back, that's going to be pretty hard to keep off the field in my opinion. So, again, it's going to come down to how he kind of, again, my, in my opinion, translates to uh, in between the tackles and if is he seeing it right because a lot of times – what happens, you know, especially with younger backs is they're so they just want to hit the hole so fast uh, that they don't have any patience. And so they don't yeah. let the, the play, you know, the play really, uh, you know, unfold. And so they're already beating their blocks to the hole. So he's going to have to maybe learn maybe a little bit of that, you know, slow down a little bit is, is okay because he does have that burst. So maybe, you know, a little patience, patience to the hole, patience to the hole, and then go, you know, something like that. How does he translate that um, when he gets on camp? Uh, in the camp so that would be kind of my my thoughts on that yeah but yeah I, I think he's top talent guys because you know, like you said you know some of those runs where he's just out there and no one's around him a lot of a lot of guys that come in as, as top ranked guys is just they're just bigger faster stronger than their competition so right. you know right. it, and, so, and, and that, especially at that position especially at the running mm -hmm. back position right because really I mean, you want to get you know speed and power that's kind of the name of the game and so at the high school level when you get a guy like that and you can just talk give him a toss sweep and get him out to the edge and just let them blow by people, right? <laughs> I mean, that's very advantageous, advantageous for the high school team. But when you're like a college evaluator, you got to kind of take that into, into, you know, put that, just put that in the back of your mind because you want to see them actually feel inside the pocket and what they cut in the building. Because we, we had a guy uh, that we were recruiting uh, at, Pen at Vanderbilt, my, you know, a couple of years ago, and he literally every other play, they'd toss sweep him out and he would just gone, right? Uh, and he ended up going to another school. He didn't come to Vanderbilt. He ended up going to another school. And he got up there and it just didn't work out. And I think a lot of it to do was because his vision was not really there. And, and it was, he was just so used to getting out to wide green open space and going, 
And so when it wasn't, when, when everybody else's speed kind of picked up a little bit and you know, every in the box, you're running more into the box and things like that, it can be a little bit of a transition. But uh, again, Singleton's got the three traits in my opinion that every, an elite running back needs to have. And so I would expect that he would be uh, pretty successful and pretty successful early. I think that's been part of the big frustration with Penn state fans in the running back room this season. It's like, you have Noah Kane who's had success in the past, but can't seem to find the balance to keep his feet all the time. Uh, Kevon Lee seems to have the vision and balance, but he's not super fast. Then like Devin Ford is the definitely, I think the speed guy in the backfield, but doesn't seem to, I don't always hit the hole quite as well as Kevon and doesn't break through tackles. Well, do you, you see Nick Singleton as a guy who like actually has like all the tools to. Yeah. I mean, cause like, so the first three things on my, like, cause I, I got notes on all these guys that I watched right back in the spring. And the first three things that I have on his are speed burst and, and balance. And so like to me, and those are the things, and to me, actually the speed, like your home run speed is really the icing on the cake. Right. Because like, if it, that's, that's not actually, I don't really care so much as if a running back can run a four, three, right. If he can't, or a four, four, if he can't, you know, if he has no vision and if he can't stay up on contact one, if one little hit puts him to the ground, that's not really that I, I, that dings him a little bit. Now, if you can do, if you have contact balance and you have vision and you have burst and you also have that, you know, that four, 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 three speed. Now we're talking, I mean, that's a home run yeah. hitter right there. Right. And so that's, that, that's what everybody's looking for right there. But I think the first three things are really what you need to be looking for when you're, when you're scouting running backs, because so much of the running back, you know, every play is not going to be a home run. Every play is not going for 80 yards, right? But if you can have a running back that can consistently get you seven, eight, nine, you know, 10 yards based on ability to break one tackle or his vision, I mean, that's what, that's what everybody wants, right? Or that's what you should be looking for. And then, and then he can take it, take it to the house if it is, if the opportunity is there. And so for me, when I was watching it, well, those are the first three things I put down. So I'd say, you know, he's got, he's got what you're looking for. It's a good start. Yeah, I think that's, that's such a good point about like the um, just being like the speed, not being the most important part. Like you're, you're not going 80 yards if you're not getting past four. Right. Right. I think that's, you know, and so much, so many times that's, and we're, we're kind of trained to fall in love with the 40. Right. And, uh, and, and I get it. I do get it to a certain extent. I probably, it maybe a wide receiver, I maybe make a little more case for it. Um, but the running back too, I think it, it's, it has a purpose and it's, it's the 40 should be an evaluation tool. But if, as, as a college evaluator, if you go on to a, uh, one of the websites that provides us all that kind of information and you just go and the only thing you care about is the 40 time and you don't look at some of the other things, you're going to find yourself in trouble and probably unemployed rather quickly. <laughs> it's, a ni- it's a nice to have, not a need to have. Right. Yeah. All right. So we've covered some of like the, the top guys in this class. And, and I, again, I think this is a, one of the more top heavy classes that we've had historically, you have, you know, your two or three guys at the top and then it thins out a little bit. Um, but who are some of the more underrated players in this class that you've noticed that maybe we don't hear as much about on Twitter or in the recruiting news um, that you think might be able to make a splash sooner than later? Yeah. I mean, sooner than later, I know that that might be a little bit of a, uh, I'm not sure I quite, you know, well, you know what? Yeah, maybe, maybe, later. But they, maybe I think that they end up, like just in general, who do you think? Right. Is I think that they'll end up having successful out. careers. Right. You know, I think you can kind of go through uh, the list and, and really pick out uh, more than a handful of dudes that probably don't get talked about on the same level as, you know, Drew and Singleton and, and deny and things like that. But they're going to be successful uh, at Penn State. I, I feel pretty confident about that. You know, uh, 
Caden Saunders is obviously one. You know, he's a highly he's obviously highly rated and, and for right and for every reason that you can imagine. I mean, that kid's electric and he has, I think, a chance to see the field early because of his ability to run routes. I think that's one thing as a, as a high school kid when you're making that transition to college. Uh, if you if you understand how to uh, run a route, that's going to help you get on the field sooner. So I think he's obviously going to be one, but obviously he's also highly ranked and, and and highly touted. So you know, I think if you're looking for somebody that maybe is not getting as much, you know, maybe maybe Twitter love or or things like that, you know, I think you know the the kid. I was actually super impressed with uh, the kid Malik McNeil, the offensive lineman out of New York. Yeah, he is a project. Giant. He is a project, right? He's going to take some time. He's not going to see the field in a year, first year or two probably because they're going to have to teach him re almost reprogram him, reteach him. But that kid is unbelievably athletic for his size. People aren't, I mean, I don't know if you've seen his highlights, but on the second play of his highlight, he punts the ball 30, 40 yards. And then he makes an open field tackle. Like it was actually, wait, 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 I couldn't they, believe that's what happened. The, the dude ran, lineman that's a punting punt. Yeah. He's the punter. Oh my God. <laughs> the dude, the, 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 the guy receiving the punt takes it by everybody. So you think he's a house call. And all of a sudden, this big 6'8", 340-pound punter comes up, breaks down, and tackles him. It was pretty <laughs> super impressive. Like, I don't think, you know, people that big are not supposed to move that well. So, he's like – and he's like a probably almost like the offensive uh, blind coach's, uh, you know, dream because he's going to be basically uh, a piece of raw clay. You're just going to mold him, right? Like, you have – like, he doesn't have a whole lot of probably teaching uh, or – coaching where he kind of really understands the position. So you're really going to have a, a raw piece of clay and, and it'll be interesting to see how they can mold him um, at the next level. I think, you know, Zane Durant is another one. Now Zane, Zane Durant's an interesting one for me because I think that he's really, really good. I think he's super productive. The biggest thing with Zane is his, his, his dimensions obviously are not necessarily what you would expect for a, you know, power five defensive tackle. And he doesn't even line up as defensive tackle mostly on his film, right? He's mostly on the edge and getting by uh, the tackles with his speed. The, the thing, though, is like, okay, so if he's 255, 260 now, you know, can he put on 25, 30 pounds, get to 290, you know, 295? Uh, he's got the arm length. So I don't really, you know, you don't really care that he's only 6'1", listed at 6'1", because down in the trenches, it's, if, you're on, if you're on defense and you're playing, you know, on defensive line or if you're playing at linebacker, and if you're, you know, six foot, six foot one, you know, but you have like 33 inch arms or long arms, right? Like to me, that's, that's as good as advantage of any. And Zane Durant's got some long arms. So I think he's got a chance. He's also got tremendous change of direction um, for his, you know, for being a defense lineman. So if he can keep all that and get to 290, I would, you know, he's going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, and then another one, I think, you know, another one I think that is, <clears throat> and he's rated low by, uh, He's rated low by rivals right now, and he and he's also had the, he has the dreaded athlete tag, which is sometimes you just get put there, right? It's like because well, what are you going to be? We don't know, right? No, <laughs> which no more times than not you're going to end up as a wide receiver or a DB, right? Right. But which one? That's the big question. Uh, Amari Evans is a kid that I think is pretty intriguing because he has such a, a dynamic track background that I think he's going to have a pretty you know a pretty legit chance to do some special things. Um, once he, you know, really gets, you know, understands the craft and, and things like that. But, you know, he's a state long jumper, um, which is one of my favorite track events to watch for skill positions on offense. Cause I just think that the explosiveness that comes with that is something that you should really watch. Uh, and then he's also got some really, really good track times, straight line speed. So he's got a chance. Uh, and I'll tell you one that I know the staff's high on, uh, that doesn't get a whole lot of 
talk about is uh, Tyler Johnson, uh, that the yeah. wide receiver down in, in uh, Virginia. He staff really likes him. They think they got a good one. You know, I I know there was some uh, some rumblings last week, maybe whether or not they were true rumblings or not, but perhaps that you know Pry might try and take him down to uh, Virginia Tech and things like that. And I know that you know the staff. Now I don't I don't know Pry probably wouldn't do that anyways, but I know the staff did not want to. Uh, really even think about that losing Tyler uh because they they do think very highly of him so I mean I think the the next big question for Penn State fans like this is the probably the most excited I've seen Penn State Twitter about a recruiting class in maybe ever and we got the (laughs) big day is coming up national signing day should we be looking for any surprises either positive or negative especially with coaches leaving around the country and in our own room yeah, I don't think that there's going to be too much of a surprise uh, for the the Penn State staff coming on Wednesday. I mean, in terms of they have mo- the majority of their class locked up, as you guys all know. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of their attention now uh, is to the transfer portal and, and seeing what they can get there. So I wouldn't expect a whole lot of fireworks on Wednesday. You know, the one thing, obviously, they have to be worried about, and they're probably monitoring, is the Andre Roy. Uh, the visit to USC is worth yes. monitoring uh, for them because, you know, that's – you never you never – you don't ever want to be really in a position where you weren't the last contact with a kid. Right. Uh, and so the fact that he went and all the way out to the West coast to visit USC and the last person that he saw in person was going to be Lincoln Riley, not necessarily what you want. Um, now you have the longer uh, standing relationship with him. Uh, you hammer that, but in the back of your head, you know, you know, is he the type of kid that's going to fall in love with LA? Right? Is he the type of kid that that wants to go that far across the country and go to USC? If not, if not, you're not worried about it. Maybe he just wanted to go and take an official visit and get wine and dine because, quite frankly, they're awesome. And any kid <laughs> that, you know that wants to go on an official visit, especially to, probably to LA when Lincoln Riley and rolling out there. the red carpet, you know, it's probably a, probably a very fun 48 hours. But again, it's a long plane ride. It's a different. It's a whole different lifestyle out there. The staff knows what probably where things are at with that but he would probably be the only one i've heard some rumblings potentially about abdul carter uh not signing uh and that might go back to you know coach pry being on the move but i think i think the diaz hire was is such a strong strong hire especially at that position and the coordinator i think i i would suspect i think that was probably maybe a little bit more of a we want to have some excitement. We, have, we don't have a whole lot of excitement, right, with this recruitment, so let's maybe create some and, and, and float that out there. But, but I, I, I have not heard anything more than that, just maybe than a few rumblings late last week. But, no, I, I don't expect a whole lot of fireworks. I think they'll probably have a majority of their class signed and sealed uh, early in the morning and, uh, and keep the party moving, probably roll it over, you know, to 2023 and then and see what they can fill. The remaining holes they got to fill with the, with the transfer portal. So we'll see what they – where they put the focus there. Um, I know they have some targets. I know they have some targets there, but I, because as of last week, they had um, contact with both Virginia linemen that were in the portal uh, and then two different wide receivers, but neither, neither, none of those four made it on campus this past weekend for a official. So it would be hard in my opinion to see where any of those four transfers would choose Penn state without visiting Penn state. Maybe it could happen, I guess. Uh, because you know a lot of the, the big thing with the transfers is they always want to be a mid-year guy or they want to get there uh started the next semester just because right. obviously they want to go through spring ball and so if you miss on that boat it's gonna be hard to kind of go and find them but you know they have that at cornell 
offensive lineman that they just offered uh, who is not a part of – he's the Ivy League, obviously, is a whole different animal. So they don't uh, have, like, mid-year graduates. So he's obviously going to be there through the end of the school year. Uh, so he, that's a target, but that's on the back end, right? So, yeah, unfortunately. I don't think it'll be all that exciting, but uh, I mean, it's still worth celebrating, obviously, when you when you sign a class like they're doing, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love signing day. I love the spectacle that Franklin and the staff make out of it, you know, putting the people, putting the kids up on the big board, video chatting with all of them. I love that video that comes out. All oh, the time, yeah. so. he, he used to have, so because like, he used to put like, he makes somebody dress up almost like as a, like the game show host or the yeah, game <laughs> show host, but like they put on a suit and tie and and, and and so back at Vanderbilt, it was, you know, it's a big deal. And, it, and then at Penn State, the budget got even better, you know, and so it's become even more of a, uh, a spectacle. But, yeah, because coach, obviously recruiting is super important, coach, and you spend all year recruiting these kids. And when you get them across that finish line on that on that signing day, right, I mean, that is that's a cause for celebration. It, it really is. It, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of hours, a lot of time spent on the phone and, and doing things where you, you know, I mean, it's just incredible the amount of time. And, and Coach Franklin, specifically, and his staff are some of the most relentless recruiters uh, out there. So you get to Wednesday, regardless whether or not you have a bunch of fireworks with uh, signing, like people announcing and, and things like that, uh, it still calls for a huge celebration because it is a lot and a lot of uh, hours. That yeah, is. definitely. I'm yeah, excited. I'll be for celebrating it. if there are no surprises. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. So I have one last question, and then Pat, I'll, I'll flip it to you if you have any remainings. Um, I, I've seen some con conversation online about early signing day and whether it's good for college football, whether it's the right time, whether they should have two signing days. What's your personal opinion? Do you like the early signing day as opposed to having to wait all the way until what is it, late January, early February, like it used to be? Do you think the early signing day has been a positive for college football in general? <laughs> <laughs> um, by that reaction i'm sure it's a complicated answer i i, I did i do think it's a little bit complicated of an answer i think that the the nature of it was a was a good idea like i get it i get doing it and and you know at a school like vanderbilt it was advantageous to us for, for us to have sure. that right because lock it someone worked, in without worrying lock somebody in and that way you don't have to worry about them when because when you only have two weeks of contact period right so like they come out right out fresh out of the season and you have these two weeks of contact period where these coaches are going in home, going by schools and doing all these different things. It's only so much that they can do only so limited people that they can see. Right. And that's such a quick, it's such a small window to build a relationship and flip a kid and, and different things like that. So it was good for us at the same time. I think what's really muddied it up in, in my opinion is now the, the, the coaching, uh, uh, the coaching window, right? Or how coaches are getting let go and, and, and things like that. And then it, and now a kid gets, it finds himself in a situation where coach gets let go late November and they're supposed to sign in two weeks. And right. that, that the head coach might not even get announced until, you know, a couple of days before signing day. And, and I know, I know everybody will say, well, you know, do what you, you know, take your time or maybe just go extend it out. But that's not the reality. And that's not what's being told to these kids. Uh, you know, a lot of times the kids are being told, that, you know, lock down your spot, whether or not you want to go to, you know, whether or not you want to go to Penn state, well, coach Franklin just moved on, you know, let's say coach Franklin just moved on and, and, you know, find out a new coach on December 12th and signing days in three days. The kid's not really not going to properly evaluated by the other staff. He's not really building a relationship with anybody on that new staff, but the personnel department or whoever it is, or, or whoever's in that kid's camp is going to tell him just go there, lock it in. And uh, you know, so you have a spot. 
which now I think what you're seeing on the back end of that is the ramifications of why the transfer portal is going crazy, especially yeah. after last year when you had nobody taking visits in that 21 class. Um, right. So because of COVID knocked everybody's visits out and all that stuff. And, and people were making all these decisions on the December, the early signing period. And now you're just seeing, I mean, it's out of control, really the, the amount of people going into the transfer portal. And I don't fault a kid ever for going into the transfer portal. I mean, ultimately you got to do what you got to do for yourself. But I mean, you also have to realize that there's no, there's no guarantee you go into that portal. You're going to come out into a better situation. Right. And so I just think that, and I think, the early signing period is somewhat of a, of a cause of all that. I think that, you know, in reality, I think, cause the, the early signing period was obviously created for the kids that just know, they know they're going to Penn state, right. They know they're going to Vanderbilt. They know, you know, wherever it may be, lock them in. So yeah. in my opinion, maybe then you do that back in the summer, lock a kid in, in the summer. Uh, if he wants to sign, sign him. And then, you know, if a coaching change happens at the end of the year, you can always release that kid from the NL, uh, the NL right. or you can do whatever it, it may need to happen. But like, I just think that we might find ourselves a little having maybe cool down on the transfers. If we take a little bit more time coming out of these coaching searches and uh, making all these kids sign on the 15th, because I mean, the February sign day is nobody even, I mean, the reality is like, what? No one pays couple, attention to that. Anymore. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like it's like, it's it's, a thing of the like past. we didn't eat, yeah, you don't even pay attention to it. Like to the yeah. point like where it was just another day in the office, right? Yep. Uh these last couple of years. So, um yeah, I think maybe I would probably pitch something like that. I don't know if that would be met with much uh fanfare by the uh the coaches. I I really don't know what everybody's opinion is on that quite frankly, but I I I don't love it, I guess anymore as much as I used to. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right, Pat, any last questions? Uh, yeah, I got, I got one more thing. You know, you touched on one of the prospects already, but I think the thing Penn State fans have been most frustrated with this season is by far the offensive line. Uh, I know we got a kid who, you know, you already talked about Malik McNeil, who could come in after a few years and be really good. Do we have anyone in this class who could, you know, produce early, who could yeah. step in with, you know, even if it's not first year, but like second year on campus and like, really upgrade what's been happening on that offensive line. Sure. Sure. I think, I think that's a good question. I, and I've heard that I've seen that as well. Like the frustration kind of with that group um, in general. Um, I think that one, obviously any, I think the expectation is anytime you bring in an older kid, like the JB Nelson, right. A Juco transfer, or even a transfer from the, you know, as they're searching out the portal um, uh, for some of these grad transfers or, or, the, coll- or the, the college transfers. You know, that, the expectation is that you're going to get that kid not to come in and necessarily be a, a depth piece, right? So I think the expectation for J.B. Nelson is and should be that he's going to see the field sooner and later and be able to help out there on the edge uh, at the tackle position. <clears throat> so he's one, and he, and I, you know, he's, he's pretty good. You know, he's got, obviously, he's got long arms. He's pretty, he's pretty light on his feet. He's got a nasty streak to him. Uh, but th- that's, the, th- that's why, you know, of all the positions, it's probably, that's why, you, you know, you get so many of them you're allowed to put on scholar. I mean, offensive line has the most allotted scholarships now granted you have five that you're starting right so it makes sense but you have you know anywhere from 16 17 scholarships allotted just for the offensive line right and the reason being is because development at that position does take a little bit longer than you know some of the other positions and you need the depth and and things like that so um i i personally i said mcneil probably he's going to be a couple years away uh and then i think you know if he gets 
coached up right and he gets trained up and he buys in, you know, I think the sky's the limit for him. But in, in terms of year one or immediate help, obviously you're going to turn to uh, J.B. Nelson. Whether or not Drew Shelton and, and Roy uh, can do it uh, as freshmen, that's a tall task, obviously, for any freshman that, to, to be asked to come in and, and, and do something like that, especially on the edge. Maybe if you can find a way to, you know, you put them in the guard so that way you can protect them with the center and tackle. Um, and kind of help them ease them in there that way uh, when, you know, you're talking about all the communications up front and different things like that, perhaps. I think they're both really good offensive linemen. Um, I, you know, Roy's got some nastiness to him uh, and Shelton, you know, he moves well too. So I think they, it's a good, it's a good crop. I want, you know, Neil's the longest one away, but I think he might have the highest upside, but the, but it's a good crop. And I, I, I would expect, Nelson right away and then you know you don't know I really couldn't tell you whether or not Shelton and uh Roy will I think it's possible it all comes down you know to, in my opinion it all comes down to just the development in terms of you know are they ready for that transition you know we 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 actually had when I was at Vanderbilt my last year at Vanderbilt we actually had a kid that ended up coming in and he started he he, he worked his way right in as a true freshman to the right tackle spot. He was getting reps there and then bam, he was starting. He was clearly the best option there. So, I mean, it can happen. Right. And you usually know because the kid has a little bit, you know, a head on his shoulders, he's ready for the bright lights. Um, he, you know, he's not going to panic when he gets out there. Um, and I'm sure they all know that, you know, they know these personalities of these kids better than I do. Um, but they're, again, they're good players, whether or not they can do it. It's, it's you know, offensive lines, a crap shoot, but we'll see. As we well know. <laughs> as we know too well um all right well that will wrap up our 2022 signing day conversation that's technically happening in 2021 early signing day you no. get it uh most people are listening to this it's probably tuesday the 14th so signing day is tomorrow hopefully no crazy fireworks a lot of good kids coming in the class eric thank you so much for for joining us i think this is going to be a really good conversation for people that are super invested in recruiting going to love to hear what you say uh, and then for the people who are casual recruiting fans it's always fun to learn more to dig a little bit deeper and, and get tied more in so we will definitely have you back on as we get into 2023's class uh throughout the season hopefully we'll have uh just as much talent coming in but thanks for joining us and uh great talking with you man yeah no i appreciate it chris Pre appreciate it, pat i mean it was a lot of fun uh, like i said this is one i haven't i haven't done had the opportunity to do this a whole lot of time so i appreciate it appreciate talking uh you know penn state recruiting i love i love the, you know, the interaction that comes with like kind of that my favorite thing i guess about you know, recruiting and is in the message boards. It's just the community that gets involved and people are passionate about it. So I love, no matter who you're talking about it with it, you know, I just like getting on and talking ball and, and talking recruiting because people are just passionate about it. It's fun. So I appreciate the opportunity that you guys gave me today for sure. Yeah, it was great having an expert on them. <laughs> I wouldn't say that by any means, but it's always <laughs> fun to kind of act like one, right? So, but it's all good. Yeah. I appreciate there it. There we go. All right. Thanks, Eric. All right. Have a good one, guys. See ya. Yeah.